0: On today's episode, I am blessed to be joined by the one and only Andy I. Andy is an incredible human being. He is the founder of the Angel Investing School. He has been awarded an MBE for his amazing services to the space and has also previously led product teams for venture-backed businesses such as Zilch. I'm super interested. I'm, I'm so excited for this conversation. A million things I want to ask you about. One of the conversations I think is massively overlooked is how many people are out of the conversation when it comes to investing in startups.
1: We need to do a better job as well of this translation to make it a lot more accessible for everyone to participate. Our narrow data set means that we're getting narrow outputs. Like, what is the motivation primarily that you want to start this? In the back of every angel investor's mind, they are thinking about financial returns. It's really dangerous when that's the primary motive. To so backing myself is the biggest risk that's paid off for me. Entrepreneurship, as you know, is challenging but so rewarding. Life rewards you with luck when you're opportunistic and you just keep on showing up consistently.
0: Welcome to another episode of Big Risk Energy. On this podcast, we talk to an amazing range of people. We talk to these people about risk. Risk they've taken in their lives, risk they've taken in their careers, when they paid off, and when they didn't, Andy. Thank you so much for joining me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a long time in the making, isn't it? Mate? Yeah, exactly. I was thinking about this earlier today because we first spoke about three years ago. It, was, it must have just been at the start of the pandemic, I think. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how we met, but but we. I think it was definitely an
1: introduction, but who I'm not even. Sure
0: yeah, yeah. Talking. Do you know what? It's such a shame with things like that, you know, because we've had so many amazing conversations, and the people who make it happen I always just forget. <laughs> like, who was that? I don't know. They probably deserve some credit. Absolutely. Um, but one of the things that. I found incredible when we first spoke is your take on democratizing the early stage venture ecosystem. Mm. Because I think, um, although there is still so much work to be done on lowering the barrier to entry for founders, for example, underrepresented founders in terms of access to venture capital, Mm. but that conversation seems to be happening a lot more, which is great. Um, One of the areas which I think is, is, massively overlooked and especially previously to to you starting AIS one of the conversations I think is massively overlooked is how many people are out of the conversation when it comes to investing in startups and accessing the ecosystem that way because as we know you know it's an amazing wealth creator but it's also something incredible to do with the time money advice and everything else so what led you to approaching democratizing the ecosystem from that angle
1: yeah, so I think it's good for us to look a little bit at history to, to begin this conversation. And when we look in history, there's always been private deals privately shared in private networks that were super incredible. So when we look at things like the Wright brothers creating the aeroplane, like not a lot of people know that they had angel investment. Wow. Yes, from Mr. Vanderbilt, who invested in that early startup. When we look at Edison and the invention of the light and what he went on to do, he had investment from Mr. J.P. Morgan before the firm was created.
0: No way. Right. So there
1: was always these private networks funding these private deals, which were incredible opportunity, opportunities. And then when we look at modern day of, of the likes of Apple, Microsoft it's the same story again. So there's always been this private network operating who are sharing deals with each other because they knew each other and they had access to these opportunities. And then, if we layer on top of that, the other barriers that are stopping people from really accessing the space is regulation, right? So in the US, the SEC, the Securities Exchange Commission, Mm -hmm. says that in order to invest in these privately held companies, you need to earn at least $200,000 a year or $300,000 combined with your spouse. That barrier makes no sense in modern day because I can invest 20K into crypto money and lose my money today. I could gamble it away today. Mm-hmm. I could invest in property and lose it today. I can invest in alternative stocks and shares and lose it today. So why is that barrier only existing when investing into this twenty-year relationship that I've had with my neighbour, who's now starting a company, but I can't. I can't invest because I'm not allowed because I have this affordability issue. That makes no sense.
0: Wow, wow. I mean, when you break it down like that, it's it's insane to think. I mean, you're right. You know, you can go and put your Weekly pay packet in a fixed odds betting machine, Absolutely. and you're supported to do it, right? Is there's advertising on TV for that, exactly. but you want to go and invest in a startup? It's like, well, hold on, this is not something you should be doing. Where where does that come from? What, what's your view on that? Well, we have to look at the history of who was regu- who was the regulators, right? And the regulators
1: actually again come from a small private network of ex bankers. And people that operate within this financial industry, the same people that have let us down many times, right, when we Mm -hmm. look at Bernie Madoff and a lot of these
0: scouts. Wait, you mean bankers have let down the people?
1: (laughs) (laughs) But what they're doing is protecting wealth within the elite, or the bourgeoisie, as you'd say, Mm -hmm. in sociological Mm -hmm. studies. Right. Because it's protecting their interests, because the more competition that's driven, it means the more wealth is is dispersed Mm -hmm. and the more people have access to these opportunities. Mm. And that's what excites me. But that's currently the opportunity that a lot of people are not even aware of today. And if we look across industries, the last barrier that I'd like to discuss is actually language. If we look at the medical industry and becoming a doctor or becoming a lawyer, the same is true in the financial services industry. Mm -hmm. There's so much jargon that makes it really scary and difficult to access when a lot of the times it's just marketing and it's really simple terms for what these people are describing. So when we look even in tech, there's things like MVPs and NDAs, but then when you get on the surface, you're like, wait, MVP, you're just talking about a minimal viable product, which is really just the first version of your product that you release into the market. Why don't you just say that? Right, So we need to do a better job as well of this translation to make it a lot more accessible for everyone to participate rather than the secret lingo that we sometimes use on Sandhill Road hundred our investors.
0: Okay, this is, I'm, I'm super interested. I'm, I'm so excited for this conversation. <laughs> ADHD? I'm like, I've got a million things I want to ask you about. Okay, it. so, um, couldn't agree with you more in terms of there being private networks which are obviously looking after their own interests, right? This is the reality of the situation and when you look at um, in the UK, in the US, the amount of names you see on the same cat you see on the cat table every time. You know, the best deals have the best names on the cat table or, or, or the, the most frequent you know, names in the cat table so when you're trying to disrupt that model with ais for example and try to really democratize that has there been any backlash from the people who might be trying to keep it a bit more uh, exclusive
1: mm, that's a really interesting question um i believe there's this two schools of thought There's certain people that are wealthy and feel philanthropic and they want to pay it forward and support the ecosystem. Someone like Saul Klein is a classic example, Mm -hmm. actually, at Local Globe. You know, he does Blackout Tuesdays Mm -hmm. to highlight issues within the black community. Like he's been paying it forward and investing also into incredible opportunities with emerging fund managers through Basecamp and a lot of the funds that he's invested in. Look at Black Seed more recently, for example. But there's another school of thought where it's, you know, that people... People like that are not qualified to do this, you know. And what they fail to realize is that when we look at the data, there's no correlation behind your background or your wealth with with, with returns. Really? Yeah. A lot of the, the poor funds that are underperforming, the poor funds that don't return, whether in private equity or in venture capital, Yeah, they're wealthy individuals running those firms. It wasn't Mm. nothing to do with their wealth. Mm. You know, even when we look at the backgrounds of sometimes people talk about operator VCs, like some of the most best performing VCs, like Michael, what's his surname? At Sequoia was a journalist, Mm. historian, humanitarian, you know, and actually that's a skill set that I think we underrate in this space. Because as a humanitarian, and I was a humanitarian as well, I took sociology, psychology, history, theology growing up. But you learn actually how to really decipher the critical analysis of the for and against for an argument. Mm-hmm. You learn how to make decision making through taking various data points and stories into account before making an informed decision. That's actually the same kind of decision you're doing when you're actually meeting a founder, trying to figure out if there's chemistry and whether we're value aligned before betting on that, that, that untapped potential of what they, they promise or want to do in terms of their ambition.
0: That's, that's really, really fascinating. And where does that then leave an industry which seems to be going more down the route of utilising data and even now some VCs utilising machine learning to validate the like possible success of deals mm-hmm. and does that then create lots of problems in terms of removing the humanity and seeing past what the background might be saying? It's
1: a great question. This is actually more of a conversation than a question. That's how good that question <laughs> is, right? The truth is it's so flawed to rely on just data and AI in this space for two reasons. One, AI relies on the inputs and what data you feed into it. But historically, the data set has been very narrow because we've only been funding certain types of entrepreneurs. A lot of white middle class entrepreneurs from certain circles in Stanford or Cambridge or McKinsey X or Goldman Sachs X. So therefore, our narrow data set means that we're getting narrow outputs. So if we're making decisions on those outputs, we're actually missing out on outliers and opportunities that other VCs are not looking at. You know, by its nature as venture capital, we should be investing in outlier opportunities. So we should be casting the net as wide as possible in order to find those opportunities that others are not necessarily looking at so we can get outsized returns that others are not going to be able to capture. It's actually a competitive advantage to cast the net wider and to look further and to unturn rocks that others aren't looking at. And and that's what some new age investors are failing to realize by trying to just go with the trend of what they're hearing in media or what they're reading on TechCrunch instead of really doing the, the critical analysis to think, how can I differentiate? How can I get on the ground and meet entrepreneurs and find those opportunities that others are overlooking? That's where the opportunities exist.
0: Yes, it's exactly. It. And this is why, you know, venture investing is not investing in an index tracker fund Mm. because you can't go with the norm you have to look at what's going to be the fund return and achieve the most insane return and that's not going to be following the norm and that's why i think there is so much um you know drive towards that like contrarian investing like what's your worldview? like how do you see things and make decisions off of that which you totally lose Mm. when you're looking at things um you know just in a a data-led way do you
1: know what's really fascinating about that nowadays as well is that Every VC is really struggling to differentiate now because before it used to be, oh, we add value beyond the capital or we make introductions for you. But when everyone starts doing that and marketing that, how do you truly differentiate yourself? And the truth is, it comes down again to customer feedback. What are founders saying about you? Why are founders willing to introduce you to other awesome founders in the network based on their relationship with you? They're not introducing you based on data. They're not introducing you based on your system. They're introducing you based on a personal relationship and the impact that you've had on that personal relationship. So we cannot replace that. That's irreplaceable. And that's actually the core composite that leads you to getting the introduction to other incredible founders and this is why angel investing is so unique and, and and so incredible an opportunity because regardless if i invest one thousand pounds or fifty thousand pounds i've got an opportunity to form a really unique relationship with this founder to go on an incredible journey and to add value at an early stage and there's this i guess um vulnerability that a founder feels that they can have with an angel who they know is not going to lead their next round yes. who they know is not a vc investor so i can share some of those difficult questions like how do i pay myself I'm having issues with my co-founder currently. You know, the metrics are trending downwards. I know that you used to work in product, Andy. What's your thoughts on this? You know, I'm thinking about going to the US to raise because it's really difficult in Europe in this current climate. A lot of my more traditional VC investors are telling me not to. What do you think? I love when I could be helpful in those situations, usually it's just an ear to listen, but also as someone to provide a different point, differentiated
0: point of view. Yes, absolutely. And I, you know, speaking from, um, from experience in this on, on so many occasions, it's never your biggest ticket investors who are your sounding board because you just have a different relationship with them, right? Because you know, you're going back to raise and, and then, you know, it's a bit of a, uh, a bit of a show not a show but you know you're putting your best foot forward you need to have people on your cap table who are aligned who want to support and want to be on that journey fundamentally absolutely and actually when they've invested less money it's easier for them to, to see it that
1: way and, and they have that feeling like i want to show that i can add more value than the size of my ticket yes and for a lot of them they haven't got a big portfolio so they can concentrate their support on the few that they're supporting whereas sometimes with a larger investor or a super ranger or a vc actually, they've got a portfolio to manage. How are they going to balance their time in terms of who they're going to invest in? Is it that struggling founder that needs help? Is it that founder's performing really well and could be the fund returner? And that's that juxtaposition that they have to deal with. Whereas as an angel, it's so early, actually, you don't really even know what those outcomes are. There is no data points on performance yet. It's so early that actually, you're just trying to be be helpful.
0: Yeah, that's, that's really, really interesting. When you're speaking to new investors as part of ais where is the entry point for them in terms of you know they've, they've heard of angel investing they've obviously got a bit of an interest in it but this is obviously such a complex and deep subject mm. it could be quite daunting to a lot of people so where where how do you help them open their eyes to that like what's your starting point because there's there's so many different angles that you can go in
1: yeah on. it's a great question and i think simon cynic's golden circle is pivotal here around starting with why Like, what is the motivation primarily that you want to start this? In the back of every angel investor's mind, they are thinking about financial returns. It's really dangerous when that's the primary motivator because angel investor might be the worst way for you to make money. It's one of the quickest ways for you to
0: lose your money. Certainly one of the most stressful as well. Yeah, absolutely.
1: (laughs) But actually, if you start with the right mentality in terms of your mindset that, you know, these are high-risk startups, they're more likely to fail, it then opens up a beautiful conversation around, okay, so given that truth, what else can I get from this journey? It might be that I'm going on fascinating journeys with these incredible people and I get the privilege of having a front row seat. It might be because I get to learn about new technologies like NFTs that I'm really fascinated about and it just gives me a privileged window into that opportunity. It might be that I want to learn about business building and actually one of the best ways is for me to participate in that learning instead of doing an MBA mm. by angel investing into this startup. It could be numerous reasons that you primarily want to get started, but it starts with that investment into yourself and understanding what is your primary motivator. Because you're going to stay true to that when making your investment decisions and crafting your your thesis around what you say yes and no to. So, for example, I meet founders, investors that sometimes say that they want to really back female founders. It sickens them the lack of investment going to female founders. So that becomes their primary motivator. And if you like the start of their investment thesis, mm. guess what? There's this all male team that's raising. It's a no from them. There's no point wasting your time or their time. So it starts to dictate actually what you're gonna pay attention to. From there, it's all about educating these new investors to let them know, you know, common mistakes that angels make when when getting too passionate and excited about doing deals. Mm-hmm. A great one and an example is often invested more than they can afford to lose. Mm-hmm. Oh, I shouldn't have invested 15K in that first ticket. I thought the minimum ticket size was 15K, so that's why I did it. Actually, no, I spoke to the founder and I've been helpful to the founder and they allowed me to invest 2K, but to set up an SPV mm-hmm. so that I can bring others into the deal. Andy, what's an SPV? Great, let's have that conversation. So that education is actually so important because if I can learn with the Angel Investing School, for example, for 500 pounds or however much it costs the membership, It's a lot cheaper than losing out on 15k to learn that lesson. So that's the reframing and trying and help these investors to understand when getting started that actually if you can learn to invest alongside others and have a community you're no longer making isolated decisions yourself but you're leaning on the intelligence of the team and the community and that's going to help you make more informed decisions and that's why I'm such a big advocate actually of angel syndicate groups it mm-hmm. allows you to invest with more experienced investors and often for a smaller ticket size as yes. well so you can participate in the learning whilst learning with others that have been on the road already.
0: Yes and it's really really uh, Fascinating, especially when you mention SPVs, because um, you know you've you've been in this ecosystem for a long time as well. And you know when I, I founded my first business in 2013 the amount of tooling that's now available for founders and investors to make these things happen just weren't there in the same way like creating an SPV was such a nightmare back in 2013 now 10 years ago 10 years can't know, 10 years down the line it's so easy to do that and it really has changed a lot of accessibility there on, on both sides of the Absolutely. equation and um, I've found now that uh, although between selling real Sport and starting connected I was able to focus on angel investing pretty much full time mm-hmm. now that I'm, I'm working full-time on connected again uh joining syndicates which is something i never did before it's mm. part of one called ground floor ventures made some amazing investments through that um i have such a new respect for that that i didn't previously mm. and the mix of that tooling and, and the amount of um, increased interest have, have brought so many more people to the table
1: yeah and there's two things to touch on based on what you shared personal finance is personal whether it's paying off your debts, whether it's credit cards, a mortgage, angel investing, it matters your personal circumstance. So that's shifting your circumstance from having the capacity to fully angel invest versus actually I've got a nine to five or an entrepreneurial pers- career that I'm pursuing now, so I haven't got as much time. So syndicates makes more sense to me. That t- that That's truthful to your personal journey. And it's actually good for the listeners to hear that, right? Because they're going to think about their personal circumstance when thinking about investing as well.
0: Yeah, 100%. You know, when I was... Um- in between founder roles. Uh, I was I was loving angel investing. It, that was my nine to five and I could spend deep time with some of my portfolio companies and that was an amazing thing to learn. But, you know, um, being hyper real about the situation, mm. it's so important to do your due diligence, especially Absolutely. if you're going to be investing larger tickets. Absolutely. And when my time went down to zero, it's hard for you to do that. 100%. It was like, well, I'm not going to just make some of the mistakes I made the first time around and just invest because I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's just do it and think, okay, look, I don't have the time to do the DD that I usually would. So let's, let's get, you know, and you can incentivize a syndicate lead to do that DD with upside, whatever it might be, but that's going to be a much safer way of doing it. And two minutes ago, you
1: touched on technology. I think it's really important that we double click on that. Like why technology? Why is technology so exciting? Technology has the ability to change the world and The advancement of technology is happening at such a rapid pace. We don't realize it because we're going through it ourselves, but it's advanced at such a rapid pace. It's democratizing access and unbundling industries across the board. We saw it in financial services with banks that used to traditionally do all of your services from providing loans Mm -hmm. to mortgages to credit cards to foreign exchange services. Now that's been completely unbundled. You've got Wise, formerly known as TransferWise, doing your FX. You've got Funding Circle doing your lending. You've got so many different players that are unbundling each layer and creating billion-dollar companies within each layer. That's so exciting. You know, and, 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 and we see that across industries. Look at how much we talk about direct-to-consumer startups and e-commerce rather than I have to go and list my, 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 my products in a Tesco or mm-hmm. in a big retailer. You know, so it's democratizing opportunities across the board and it's creating new careers and new employment opportunities and new ways to generate value across the world. And that's what most excites me about entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurs should be able to come from everywhere, but today they can't because not all of them have access to opportunity even when we think about funding location risk is still a big issue mm-hmm. like if I'm based in Bangalore or in Accra, Ghana it's really hard for me to raise locally from angels and VC investors because of the ecosystem And despite COVID and Zoom and the advancements in remote technology, the real reality is a lot of investors still like to drive to their investments. Mm. They're not investing as internationally as people think they are. And we, we need to address these things over time to make it more accessible to invest everywhere. Now, when we look at the spider web of regulation that is state based in the US, that is country based here in Europe and Africa, actually, it makes it even more challenging to consider actually how you invest internationally. Mm-hmm. But when you think about investing into stocks and shares, I can invest into Microsoft quite easily, mm-hmm. even though it's a US-based company. I can invest into an index fund quite easily, yeah. even if I don't fully understand what I'm doing with ISIS and tax wrappers. How can we democratize the private space to make it more accessible in that way?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's beautifully put as ever. And it's, it's such an important one because you do really feel like... Um, If we could get more people that understanding, that education, that's obviously what you're so passionate about as well. There is the opportunity to give... Wealth creation, opportunity to build amazing new technology and, and looking at some of the applications of technologies in developing countries, mm-hmm. the impact it has there versus any of the impact it can have here is, is incredible. You know, some of the infrastructure plays that I've been reading about, logistic plays, you know, it's just amazing to see what technology can do to help advance um, you know, developing developing nations, which I think is amazing. And the more that the is it, it's an interesting one. How much is regulation? How much is appetite? How much is awareness?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And and partly government. Mm. Governments, right? In the UK, we have this amazing tax incentive with the SEIS and EIS yes. schemes to incentivize and promote investing into early stage entrepreneurs. That's an advantage. It's not a strategic, uh, a strategic reason why I should invest, but it's a benefit that I can gain from investing here in the UK. Like that spurs on investment into the ecosystem as well. I wonder if other governments could think through actually how they could spur on more, more investment into their ecosystems as well. Like in the UAE, I know someone that's raising a fund out there. And they're doing a lot of work actually to make Dubai an attractive country to move to or to yes. think about. And fintechs are growing there. I don't know if you've been noticing, but there's a Absolutely. lot more fintechs there. You know, if I look in Africa, a lot of the startups are C-Corps. Mm-hmm. And they, ra- they, they start Delaware companies because they're thinking about raising from the West. But What does it look like when Nigeria think about their own companies, their own infrastructure? You know, South Africa think about their own. And that's one thing China's done a great job of, actually. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of people hated the journey that they went on. But in doing so, they've created so much wealth through natural startups that they've actually grown like Alibaba rather than adopting an Amazon. Yes. Right? And for all the stick, they've got actually... The wealth creation is created, and the wave is created in terms of entrepreneurship has led to the likes of TikTok being a global company, yes. even though it was a Chinese company. Yeah. It's an incredible journey that they've been on. I think of Korea in the same way, actually, in how it's exported the globalization of things like K-pop yes. and K-movies. Mm-hmm. Like Korea is this tiny nation, and that GDP back in the 1950s was so poor, they've gone on an incredible journey. And these are what we, this is the kind of case studies we need to understand to understand how do we set up thriving ecosystems around industries in our countries and in our local locations. Like in the UK, for all of the benefits that we do have, it's very London centric. Mm -hmm. What does it look like actually to do deals in Bristol, in Manchester, in Leeds, in the Southwest, how do you build up those other ecosystems? How can I even spread awareness about connected out in those regions and do events? Like that's the thing that really excites me about opportunity and democratizing access
0: to it. Wow. I mean, you're so right. And when you break it down, even on the UK level, I saw a, uh, an infographic the other day talking about flows of investments in the UK. Mm. And it was like 85%, you know, London Southwest. Crazy. And, you know, I, I've, been to Manchester and I've spoken to founders there and it's like, yeah, there's a really thriving ecosystem here. It's, you know, it's 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 quite rudimentary in some places, but it's it's got a lot of appetite and a lot of people building cool stuff. But the investment just isn't there. Mm. You know, the the ability to to bring a lot of that into reality without moving to London, for example, very, very difficult. So I think there's there's yeah, so much work to be done globally, a lot of work to be done at home as well still. Um, okay, I wanna I wanna jump into uh, questions that I ask everyone. Sure. Not quick fire or anything, but I'm fascinated to get your answers. So, the first question I have for you is, what are you proudest of? That's a great question. Um, Believing in
1: myself and backing myself. It sounds so basic, but I think like I grew up in working class environments, Tottenham, North London, and. For a long time, I was painting a reality of what it means to be valued based on the perception of others, what it means to operate in a professional environment based on the perception of others. And it's only when I said to myself that I'm going to be 100% truly my most authentic self and add value in the way that I know how, that I had an exponential difference to my life and to my career. And it, it started from backing myself. And I didn't realise I wasn't truly backing myself until I started backing myself. Like, I'm uniquely placed to solve this problem in, in, with the Angel Investing School. Like, like, I know coming onto this podcast, I can add value and have conversations because I know how unique my perspective is. So backing myself is the biggest risk that's paid off for me in my life.
0: Amazing. And when, when did that happen? You know, what, what was it? Was it something which happened gradually? Or was it like one moment was like, I need to make you know, the most of this? Like, how, how, what's the journey behind that? Honestly
1: speaking, it's when my dad died. It just hit me that life is too short and I need to make the most of my time here. And I don't know like how long I'm going to be here. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit for sixes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to swing for the fences. And it made, a, it made a profound difference to my perspective and outlook on making the most of our time here. And in that moment, I realized, and my mentor said this to me years ago, that my skill set is my safety net. Mm. So, I can always rely on myself to, you know, t- to be born in London is such a privilege for like a second generation immigrant family because I've seen what my cousins go through back in Ghana. Mm-hmm. And I see that even though they've had high potential as children, like I did, they had low access to opportunity and it fundamentally changed the outcomes of our lives. So I never took it for granted the fact that I was born in London. I saw it as such a bridge to opportunity. Mm. It's so exciting. That's why you're smiling about it, because you recognise that as well. (laughs) And there's other cities in the world that are like that as well, like New York, as you know well, right? But there's unique places across the world where it's just a hub of entrepreneurship, employability and opportunities and, and great education. And London happens to be one of those places. So I've never taken that for granted. I've always thought about how can I help others that are like me who are coming up in the game you just need to know that there's there's me that exists and if I exist in this space there's space for them to
0: exist too yeah that's that's incredible and I think you're so right and one of the the, the stories that we hear from so many people on on this podcast is you know they wanted to be someone that people could look at and that way they could see it and believe it mm. because it's 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 not easy but in many ways it's a lot easier once you've had the path trailblazed for you. Mm, you know, absolutely. because then you're like, actually I can do this. I've seen someone else do this and, and I can follow that. So mm. I think that's probably one of the most fulfilling things anyone can do is be that source of inspiration or, or even just, absolutely. you know, that that uh reality that okay, this can happen for absolutely. me. You know, it's such an important thing and, and can genuinely change people's perception of themselves and people's perception of what they can achieve.
1: Absolutely. And, and to that point, like I truly believe that I was born to, to, to be in the business of changing lives. Like, like it meets meaningful to me more than currency, more than money. And this is the hard path, building a career in tech and getting into investment and teaching people in the way that we do. This is the hard path for me. The easier path Starting off in life Would have been to do What a lot of my friends In the community Were doing I could have robbed houses I could have I could have sold some weed I could have I could have done that stuff That was easily accessible mm-hmm. This was the hard path Yeah You know Or even when I got into My first career At Ernst & Young I could have just Played a long game For 20 years And become a director Or partner And earned good money Hated what I'm doing for work But I would have been Satisfied for me And my family That was the easier path This is actually The hard path Entrepreneurship As you know Is challenging but so rewarding.
0: Mm-hmm. It's
1: the worst job in the world. Yeah. But at the same time, I,
0: would, I wouldn't replace it and do anything else. Yeah, I can't. I, it's, a, it's a habit. Amazing. So what would you say to someone who is now, you know, let's say they've made that switch. They've mm-hmm. they had the opportunity at Ernst & Young and they took the harder path. And we know on the harder path there are some difficult moments yeah. where maybe you're looking back like, oh, if I'd stayed, I would be a partner by now. Whatever it is, you know, there are difficult moments. What would yeah. you say to someone who's in one of those moments right now?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So I would, I would also repeat what I said earlier in terms of your skill set is your safety net. No one can take that from you. And your skill set is not your job title, it's your whole lived experience. That's what uniquely makes you place to serve, solve certain problems that no one else can serve, solve in the way that you can because of that unique mix. You've got to remind yourself of your greatness. So I'm a big believer in journaling. Mm-hmm. My journal, my tracker, I use Notion, I'm a real geek. <laughs> but the powerful thing about my journal is whenever I need that reminder, I just go back six months, go back a year and I look at that feedback that I received. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm that guy. And we all need that sometimes. It's not egotistical. It's to remind yourself of who you are and what your worth is. We can't rely on our memories alone for that. Yes, So we need these kind of things like a tracker or like a journal so that we can keep track of the journey as we continue to, fi- to to feed our curiosity and see where life has taken us. And I love that about journaling.
0: Yeah, it's, it's so funny you say that. I, I've been keeping, uh, do you know, I've never thought about it as a journal before until you just mentioned mm. how you use it. But I've kept, I've got a, a Word doc on my laptop. Because that's, <laughs> that's, that's despite, despite someone who's a, a tech entrepreneur, <laughs> I'm still using a Word doc. Not, I haven't Ocean, even gotten yeah. to Notion yet. <laughs> <laughs> I've had this Word doc open um, since June 2015. Wow. And literally daily to do list. And if I'm ever in one of those tough moments, I'll look back like three years ago today. Where was I? What was I doing? Where was I then? How far have I come mm. since that moment? Having these it's undeniable proof. Yes. Right? It's you've got to have the self-belief. It's so important. But what can you do in the moments when you're questioning that self-belief is look back at the undeniable proof. Like you said, this is the feedback you got, whatever it is. So it's like, okay, I'm not feeling good today, but yeah, I am that person. Yeah. It's exactly what you said. And uh, I think it's so important.
1: Like, do you know what? It's really humbling. I know I'm probably going over time. No, no, here, no, no. I'm no loving no, at this all, not at all. Yeah, I'm me too. Yeah. too.
0: Um, we
1: had a webinar this week where I do like free webinars, just a uh, one-on-one ask your questions about angel investing. Let's just hang out for an hour and someone came on the call and said like oh Andy I've been following you for years I'm working a series b startup um I'm a fanboy from afar firstly as a man for you to say that is really like humbling you're putting your ego aside so I appreciate that but secondly that's a feedback loop for me yeah look he saw me in this space I've helped him by 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 being signal in a sea full of noise and actually he's having a really good career in a series b startup that's incredible I love that that's why the MBE was meaningful for me mm. because it allowed me to amplify who I am and my story. So others know that there's representation in this space and they belong to. I love that.
0: So tell me about the MBE journey. Cause that, I feel like that's, um, you know, something which so few people get to have and it would be a shame to not, you know, actually tell us about the reality of that. How did that feel? Do you know
1: what? One thing I'm at peace with is that there's many paths that lead to the ocean, there's many different streams and I'm not in control of what stream I go down. And, I think that's something I love about life is that I believe ultimately in a creator and a God and in things that are outside of your control. I have no clue who nominated me for the MBE. Wow. I have no clue who gave references. I received an email that I thought was spam from the government. <laughs> Luckily, I opened it and then just put it to the spam folder. And it was to receive an MBE for my contributions to the diversity and, and, and inclusion in the technology sector. And it was a blessing, but I didn't... I didn't put any effort into getting that. Wow. I didn't write an application. I don't know who did. And life rewards you with luck when you're opportunistic and you just keep on showing up consistently. And and that's an example of that. You know, and since then actually some of my friends have gone on to get, to receive MBs as well. I'm like I'd never even heard hardly heard of an MBE before. And now my friend Mandy's got an MBE, my friend Denise has got an MBE who I've worked with. And that's just incredible. It's like wow, like what a circle of people that I've had the privilege to to grow alongside as iron sharpens iron.
0: Yeah, that's that's amazing. Uh, so you still to this day don't know who who referenced who put it forward.
1: I, I feel like that mystique is part of what makes it beautiful. So I'm yeah. not even
0: trying to investigate. Yeah, it. I, fair I'm Not enough. even attempting to. But thank
1: you, for listening to listening, <laughs> because I do really appreciate it.
0: <laughs> and have you found that it's opened lots of doors that maybe were were closed before? Or have I you get found that it's made a difference?
1: So much, and I don't believe it has. But I don't know if it's because I've I've built a certain personal brand already. Um, but I do think there's a there's a veneer of um, credibility that it, it provides to say you know like you've been rewarded this or awarded this based on what you've you've been doing so there's a bit of a safety element from a credibility perspective in saying actually there's a stamp of approval there that you know Andy is who he says he is but I don't believe it's, it's opening any specific doors that are unique
0: to me yeah yeah no that's fascinating okay my next question for you is what does it take to be successful mm.
1: I think in life, it's it's really important to define success for yourself. Um, If you get too caught up in what others are defining for success, um, you may find the unhappy path to success. Um, The second thing I would say is, success for me is really feeling like I'm doing meaningful work with value aligned people in service of people who care, and is making sure that I don't sacrifice my family for money or for, or for opportunities because on my deathbed, I know I'm not going to ask for my laptop or for my investments. I'm going to ask for more time with my loved ones. So why not optimise more time while I'm still here and healthy to, to do that now?
0: Yeah, that's, uh, that's beautifully put. It really is. And I don't know about you, but I think one of the, this is going to sound a bit deep, maybe a bit strange, but one of the benefits that I felt from having the the time that i've spent with incredibly wealthy people very successful people mm. if it's people in vc you know unicorn founders whoever it might be is you know when you get to experience the realities of someone who's amassing that level of wealth and you actually see the other side of it mm. and that it doesn't actually solve anything mm. and that it doesn't actually bring the things which we're sold from a very young age that it does bring mm. and i feel so grateful now, look, I've, I've done okay for myself, but no way am I at that level, right? And I feel very, very grateful that I've seen through the other side of that, through mm. people in my network, and realized that it can't be about chasing that, mm. you know? And I think for a lot of people, I think everyone comes to that realization eventually. Yeah. But for a lot of people, unfortunately, it is on the deathbed. You know, it is at the end of life. Then they realize that actually that meant nothing. And I feel so fortunate to be able to look at that now and say it's about doing the bigger stuff.
1: And that shows the wisdom that you have in terms of of having that maturity around your outlook on life and and opportunity and success. Because you defined it for yourself. And you said to yourself that you're playing this life according to your lane. You're not focused on what others are doing in their lane. You're just going to run this race the way you know how.
0: Yeah, it's the only way to do it, right? And Absolutely, I think yeah. um it's it's so it's so great talking to you finally in person <laughs> that, that and being able to to feel all the energy that I felt uh, from your mission and, and, and everything that you were doing. Okay, my next question for you is is there anything you would have done differently?
1: That's a great question. Um I would have taken the leap sooner into entrepreneurship. I felt like um at the time, um the way the story goes is uh, I got a job at Ernst Young, I went into that graduate career, and outside of working the evenings and weekends, I was working on mixtape madness with my brother and a few friends, and my brother still runs it today with, with those friends. Um, and I didn't take the leap at first because of imposter syndrome. I felt like I needed this corporate corporate career. I needed this badge, this badge of approval. I've worked here, I've worked there. Because that's what is defined to me, kind of coming out of uni going into careers. Like these are reputable careers, these are reputable rather than me thinking through actually like what does it mean to me? How do I craft out and discover and explore my curiosities to figure out what I love doing, what I hate doing, what I'm great at, what I'm not so good at? And it took me time to get into the rhythm of actually getting onto that path. Mm. And fortunately, my corporate career took me closer and closer to entrepreneurship anyway. You know, I was at a management consultancy called Elixir. I set up their strategic outpost out in San Francisco, yeah, which is why I was out there in 2015, mm-hmm. same as you. Um, and again, I was working with like Andreessen Horowitz, Greylock Partners, Sequoia, Lightspeed Ventures. So again, different paths can lead you to the stream, right? And that was my path for really getting exposed and almost like a fast track MBA into venture capitalism and entrepreneurship. So I came back to London and then built my products career mm-hmm. and then went into into venture capital with backstage capital and then angel uh, investing school now. But I was always doing something entrepreneurial on the side. I, c- I can't help it. I, you know, I think a lot of us are like that, right? It's like, yeah. <laughs> we've got to be doing something entrepreneurial. If, if our work doesn't give that to us, we've got to figure out to do a way to do it in the evenings and weekends.
0: Yeah, of course, of course. And again, that goes back to the conversation we we're having previously. That's why there is so much value to these uh, bigger corporates for, like AIS, for example, where you can help people get that additional thing which they're looking for because, as you said, Absolutely. if it's not being satisfied by work, they're going to be looking elsewhere for it. And, you know, to that point, actually, like... There's an
1: African proverb that says that it takes a village to raise a child. Mm-hmm. And when I was growing up, it genuinely felt like that. Like my neighbors, I was calling them aunties and uncles. I must have been a teenager before I realized they're not blood related to me. <laughs> and there's so many people right now in corporates who feel isolated and are looking for, for community. Yeah. They're looking for a sense of belonging outside of their job that, that really links with their intrinsic motivations. And I get so excited when we connect on that level with people where people feel like we're in a value-aligned community with people that get it and want to talk about things like generational wealth mm. you know, and economic empowerment and making a difference by investing back into our community. I love that conversation. and My community loves that conversation. I've been really fortunate that we've been attracting that type of person to the AIS. And that's what the community has been based off.
0: Amazing. Amazing. Really, really incredible stuff. My last question for you today, unfortunately, but we got to do this <laughs> again. We've got to do this again. My last question for you today is... 16 year old Andy walks in the room right now. What are you going to tell him?
1: Don't put pressure on yourself and just keep on feeding your curiosity and tracking the results.
0: Incredible. Incredible. There you go. Andy, anything you want to plug?
1: I want to plug the great work you're doing because it's ecosystem building. And I think it's really important sometimes for people to understand that we need super connectors in these ecosystems, especially to democratize access, um, especially for working class founders who haven't got access to the capital networks. So it's so important to have platforms like yours to collaborate with the likes of AIS with what we're doing as well. And I appreciate this podcast as well, because this is another way of democratizing access to education.
0: Thank you so much. And such a pleasure to have you on. Thanks a lot, Andy. Awesome. Thank you.